Welcome to Teen Wealth Radio, a show just for teens, their parents, and educators to come together and discuss the issues that are affecting our youth today. Your host is Brandy England. Brandy is joined each week by amazing guests, as well as a regular panel of co-hosts who are here to give you ideas and encouragement every step of the way. We also have plenty of other surprises on today's show. So let's get started. Here's your host, Brandy England. Hey, everybody. No Brandy today. You've got Rebecca Salon coming to you uh, live from Vancouver. It's super windy tonight. And today our guest is Anaisa Vissa. Anaisa, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited. So Anaisa and I met through the film circles. I know there's a lot of film guests on this show, but like it, it's all good. It's very exciting stuff to go through. And, you know, there's a lot to do with mental health and entrepreneurship as well in, in the film industry because so much of it is independent. Um, and Anaisa has plenty of experience, a lot of accolades to her name. If you check out the bio on, on our um, episode guide, you'll be able to see a bunch of the awards that Anaisa has won. Um, and of course, her interests and things like that. She's got two cats and trying to keep her plants alive. We, we share that interest. I currently am failing at that. I don't know how you're doing, but. <laughs> so, so I feel like I have to replace my plants on a regular basis. <laughs> I've definitely killed one, but I can't come to terms with it yet. So it's corpse. It's just like, there. <laughs> it's very sad, <laughs> but I digress. Uh, so why don't you tell everyone a little bit about you and what you do and, and what you want to talk about today? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm a filmmaker. I live in Vancouver in Canada. I've been working in film for, I don't know, like seven years I finished my undergrad in 2013 from Emily Carr University here in Vancouver and recently did a master's degree in film production and creative writing. Um, before Canada, I lived, I guess I'll tell you in, in, in order in which it happened, but I was born in Zimbabwe and grew up in Mozambique in Africa. And uh, following that, moved to the States for a few years while my mom was doing her uh PhD at Florida State University in Tallahassee, Florida, where I lived for three years. Then after that, I lived in France and went to high school there and uh, then moved here when I was 18 and I've been here ever since. So I've traveled around quite a bit. Um, and yeah, I guess I gravitated towards working in film. I, I always was interested in arts and, uh, and creating imagery and filmmaking just seemed like a great marriage of art music sound video like it just was it's such a great field because you can forever be learning and forever be uh growing and trying new things and that's what I needed in in my life I knew from a very young age that I wasn't going to be able to be someone who had a day job at a desk for eight eight hours a day I needed something that was going to be dynamic and different and uh and that was going to keep me moving so that's that's why I pursued film and, yeah, uh, yeah, like same, 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 but different. Like you, you, you might be completing the same job, but each experience is, is really different. It is. And every single time you work with new people, you're doing a different project, you're uh, tackling different social issues if you're doing it right. And, mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, giving yourself kind of new experiences with each project. Well, let's talk a little bit about how um, you grew up because that sounds very interesting. You, you lived in like very wildly different, 
places, like if, if you think about how like stereotypically each of those places are portrayed in like film and TV, that in my mind, like not knowing enough about those places, that seems like, you know, night and day each time. Um, how did that sort of, you know, shape your upbringing? Like, did you, did you find that you had to like, did you get culture shock with every move or how, how did you adapt? Yeah. Um, it was, it was hard. (laughs) Um, I was 10 when we first moved. So when we went from Mozambique to Florida and that's a huge shift. Um, it's, it, the night, the good thing about it is that I grew up watching American television. So I had, I had, it wasn't total culture shock. I knew what the U S was like and I knew kind of what I was in for. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tallahassee, Florida is a very special place because it's, it is the South, it is Florida, but it's also not Florida in many ways. So it was, it's kind of a, a unique niche place. Um, it's very much a student town, so it's diverse and interesting. And I got to go to a school that was, uh, the research school that was affiliated with the university there. So I was, kind of surrounded by children of immigrants, children of um, kind of various uh, social walks of life, which was interesting. Mm. And then from there, uh, moving to France was probably the the hardest one because I didn't speak a word of French when I moved to France. And uh, that was probably the most culture shock I had because I didn't, not only did I not speak French, but I also just didn't want to be there when I first moved there. Um, in hindsight, it was, it was a great experience and I'm, I'm grateful for it. But at the time when you're, you're, I was 13, when we moved, I had no interest in learning a new language or making new friends or starting over when I had just started to feel at home, uh, in Florida. So it was a big, uh, it was a big shift. Mm, Yeah. And what sort of, um, like impact did that have on your, on your mental health? Did you, did you find that you, you know, you kind of, um, you know, dealt with that, like all these feelings that you had, you recognized what each of those feelings were and then went to deal with it? Or did you find that you you weren't really sure what was happening and you like closed off? Yeah, it's interesting thinking about it now because I feel like it's such a, it's a time of my life that I don't reflect on too much. But when it was happening, it was incredibly difficult. Um, the, the move when I was 13, because that's, you know, you're, you're just at that age, you're just kind of starting to figure out who you are and what you want, what you, what you want to be in a sense, not necessarily professionally, but you know what I mean? Like you want, what kind of person you are. And that, um, that transition was difficult because I lost my social circles. I lost my friends and my day-to-day sort of comfort. Um, Mental health wise, it was a very different time as well, because we didn't, we didn't have social media in the way that we do today. So keeping in touch with my friends that I left behind was very difficult. Mm. Um, People were just starting to do things like use messenger apps. um, Yeah. MSN and MySpace. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) It was very early days of social media. So it was a very different world. Um, And so I actually spent a lot of my time because I didn't speak the language and I didn't have any friends at the beginning. I spent a lot of my time, talking oh here comes my cat um talking to strangers <laughs> talking to strangers on the internet um as opposed to st- talking to friends mm-hmm, mm-hmm. do you think that um you know part of the reason why you're so drawn to film and the, the changing nature of it do you think that part of the reason why is because your your up 
your childhood and upbringing were so like rapidly changing? Yeah, I have wondered that. I I think there's something you you develop a sort of uh, resiliency to change if you keep having to change, and I I almost feel like yeah, I feel like I I was I used to be afraid of living in the same place for more than a few years because I didn't know how to make lasting relationships or how to build friendships that didn't have a time like clock ticking mm. um, because I was so used to moving around by then. But um, coming here was different because it was my choice. Um, and I was 18 years old and I was still very young, but I chose to come here. And I think that was a huge difference in terms of how how it went meant like mental health wise, because I wasn't kind of being dragged across the world against my will, which is sort of how I interpreted the previous moves. I think you made a really interesting point just then that um, establishing relationships to you was you were never, you always had like a time limit on it. Um, how did you sort of move through that? And, and what, what is that like, like making friendships, knowing that there could be an expiration and, and is that, is that true of any friendship? Like even when you're settled somewhere? I think it is. And I think as we, I think as we grow up and we get older, we start to realize that friendships don't have to be, you don't have to put that pressure on a friendship to think that it's forever going to be this intense. Sometimes you make, you make a new friend and it's, it's really great for a little while. And then it sort of becomes a, a background friendship and it doesn't have to be a feature in your life. Um, mm-hmm. I, the great thing about social media and sort of the rise of that sort of constant communication is that we don't have to try so hard to stay in touch. We're sort of kind of keeping tabs on all our friends organically, sort of organically, like just by virtue of scrolling and by the culture of sharing, Um, which, you know, in some ways people are like, oh, I, I don't understand kids these days growing up with this technology. But honestly, if I had had this access as a kid, I would have I would have been really grateful because I would have been able to keep in touch and stay kind of more, um, more connected to the people that I met. Yeah. Yeah. I think as far as like this idea of friendships, having a, an expiration, it didn't, it, I didn't think of it that way at the time when I was making the friendships, it was mostly usually when I found out that we were going to move that I was like, Oh, okay. I guess I need to start thinking about, how how this changes but it's it's different in different age age groups too like the friends that I had in France when I was 18 I'm still good friends with now um despite living a world away and I think that's just because of the the nature of the friendship like as you get older you make friends who are more um who are going to be a staple of your life for a lot longer yeah like high higher I don't want to say like higher quality friendships but higher quality <laughs> friendships. well and exactly. I think that's because I think that's because we are developing our ourselves sort of and understanding mm-hmm. who we are and learning to I think we learn to be more particular about who we're friends with like it's no longer yeah. I want everyone to like me it's I like me and I, I'm who I am and then whoever does like me can come along for the ride and whoever doesn't then whatever um Mm. sort of start to develop that resiliency as you're older with with a bit of confidence that that comes with time yeah much much better at setting boundaries and and not allowing people who test those boundaries to stick around kind of thing and I think also yeah like when you're when you're younger you're in school and things like places where you have to be and you have to sort of make friends within that 
like that place that you're in kind of thing. Whereas when you're older, you, you have the choice to sort of go out somewhere where you want to find people that are like, I, I don't know. Does that make sense? <laughs> like you're not yeah, like, and you into just, a bubble. <laughs> like, exactly. You're not just yeah. like trying to make friends because you're in the same room. You make friends because you have the same interests or you do the same right. job or, you know, something like that. Like film is such a great industry to be in for, for friendships because you're constantly meeting people who are passionate about the same things that you are. And so your your circle of friends, if you will, is ever changing and growing. And and I, I find comfort in that because I think that that there's there's always going to be someone awesome just around the corner that I'm about to meet and become friends with. Do you have any advice for maybe any of the teenagers that might be listening um, who do move frequently, just like you did when you were younger? Do you have any advice to them for like how? to maintain friendships or, you know, how to sort of step out of maybe feeling lonely or anything if, if you're pre- preventing yourself from making connections because of moving? Yeah, um, I think for, for me what really helped was finding things that I loved that were not dependent on a place or people. Um, I, I did a lot of visual arts, so I did a lot of drawing and painting and I did a little bit of music and I, there were just interests that are not geographically limiting. Um, it's definitely something that I found a lot of comfort in. And the other thing too, is knowing that moving does not mean losing people. It means gaining people. It means expanding your circle. It means opportunities for new experiences. And that's, that's really hard to see it that way. I, I know from experience, but it, but that's ultimately, you know, give it a few years in hindsight, that's what it's going to feel like. It's going to feel like it was a great new experience. Um, so it's, yeah. And especially now with social media and with the internet and, and the kind of connectivity that we have, there's, there's definitely room to call it a, a growing experience where you can constantly just grow friendships rather than losing them you can maintain them yeah I really like that and I would agree it's not about like losing anything that you've like left behind I guess it's, it's about like what you gain from the new place and then you know what you get to keep as well you know like, I, I've moved from Australia as well and I, I don't feel like I've really like lost anybody like they're still there if I want to like go back there you know what I mean you can always go back yeah, and I think you fi- we find that freedom in adulthood as well, um, that freedom of like, where well, where do I want to live um, versus where do my parents want to go because their job requires it or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. there, comes, there will come a time when you get to make those decisions yourself, and at that point you can, you can decide to stay where you are or go back to where you were or find a new place. Like there's so many options ahead. Um, mm-hmm. So I would try to... Uh, yeah, to find things that you love that aren't that aren't uh, aren't tethered to a place, and also just to remember that no one is ever gone from your life just because you're moved away. You can definitely keep continue to be friends and continue to have relationships with people. And you were saying that you made the decision to move to Vancouver when you were eighteen. Um, did you? What was the thought process there? Like, were, were you feeling like? Um, it was something that you, you felt ready to do or did you feel too young or, or what was your thought process at doing it at 18? Uh, I had a difficult time in France when I was there from, from 13 to 18. I felt very, um, very much fish out of water and had some, some trouble with my, with my family, my stepdad. 
it was a difficult uh, time. And I think when I decided to move away at 18, I, I had part of me wanted to get as far as I could. <laughs> and part of me um, just wanted to find the right place in terms of schooling. So I picked Vancouver because I got into Emily Carr University where I did my undergrad. And that was um, the kind of school that I really wanted to go to. I wanted to go to an art school. I wanted to study film. And I wanted to study in English, not in French. So I was I was kind of given this um, this opportunity. I happened upon uh, like a, a brochure or a, a program for Emily Carr and applied kind of on a whim and and got in. And that sort of dictated the uh, the next 11 years of my life. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of serendipity there. Like it just kind of flew into your lap and and that's where you went like wherever the wind took you (laughs) yeah definitely it was it was unexpected but also a great um a great thing yeah so you did your um first degree at Emily Carr and then again you did your your master's at the University of British Columbia and then you dove headfirst into a very successful career in film um so what we'll do is we will take a short break and when we come back we'll talk more about your achievements in film and you know um what uh things you've done to, with mental health and um how you built your career things like that when we come back sounds good the internet's number one talk station number one talk station VoiceAmerica.com Hey you, yeah you, are you tired of people asking you what you want to be when you grow up? Well, we can help. What if we gave you the money to start your own business? All you have to do is join the Teen Wealth Club. Even if you have no idea what you want to do, we can help you have the life of your dreams and play by your own rules. We are real, real people who believe that your life can be whatever you want it to be. And we know it works because we have hundreds of other teens just like you who are doing it right now. Check out GlobalTeenWealth.org and start the life of your dreams today. Don't forget to mention Teen Wealth Radio and we'll send you a free gift when you join. Or you can call us at 1-855-866-TEEN. That's 1-855-866-8336. GlobalTeenWealth.org. We're here to get you started on your future. Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now, there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron, live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
are tuned in to Teen Wealth Radio. To join in the conversation, send an email to Brandy at GlobalTeenWealth.com. That's Brandy with an I at GlobalTeenWealth.com. Now, back to this week's show. All right, welcome back, everybody. We are talking to Anaisa Vista. Um, and just before the break, we were talking about how um, you moved from France um, at 18 to come to Vancouver and start uh, your career in film. So that started with, you know, a degree at Emily Carr University and then your master's at University of British, uh, University of British Columbia. And then, you know, now we're, we're in the throes of your career at the moment where you have a focus on women in film um, and genderqueer um, initiatives and all that sort of stuff. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your work in film and, and how it relates to mental health as well? For sure, yeah. I Well, I, I have to say the schooling wasn't quite so linear. I did, um, I did do my undergrad for four years at Emily Carr, and then I worked for about five years in rentals and making kind of indie films on the weekends when, when I had time. Um, and when I say rentals, it's uh, equipment rentals for, for film. So that's a great, uh, a great little job because you get a lot of perks for being able to take out cameras and other equipment. So, uh, mm-hmm. so that's kind of how I sustained my, my learning experience in film is, is sort of continue, continue to, I continued to make projects on the weekends and on, on downtime. And then, uh, yeah, I actually just finished my master's. My official graduation was this week. Um, this past week. Yeah, thank you. Um, but I, fi- I finished my thesis back in April, so it feels like it's been it's been done for a while, but I didn't actually officially get the graduation ceremony and paper and stuff until this week. Um, yeah, so that that was um, that was a great yeah. experience. I, I really enjoyed doing a, a master's and, and working in in an academic setting because it allowed me to really work on and develop my own projects yeah and you said um your thesis I know we were talking in the break uh what your thesis was on do you want to tell everyone about that because that's definitely related to mental health as well yeah for sure I I wanted to do I've always wanted film my filmmaking to have a social impact of some kind a message of some kind I don't want to just make rom-coms I want to make films that speak to people on a level that's a little bit deeper Um, so I, and being someone who has had, uh, tumultuous mental health throughout my entire life, I've wanted to, um, speak from that perspective because it's, it's genuine for me. And it also helps, I think, to destigmatize, uh, mental illness and, and issues around mental illness. If we create positive representations of people who live with mental illness and, and are still managed to be people. Um, so I, I've focused my p- previous films and, and I'm focusing my future projects uh, quite a lot around issues of mental illness and mental health. And my thesis was on representations of mental illness in female characters on film. Um, so I did a bit of an analysis of what what's problematic about current current representations of mentally ill female characters and how do we how that's detrimental to both um, the public perspective on mental illness, but also kind of the public view of women. And so I wrote about how that should change. Um, And the film that I uh, made for my thesis, 40 Seconds, which is how I met you, uh, Rebecca, (laughs) that film was um, 
was was a response to that. It was how do we create a positive representation of someone who's struggling with mental health and what do they need to overcome that? Uh, and films that I that are problematic will basically that I analyzed are films that you know represent mental illness as having to be uh, uh, resulting in violence or um, an incapacity to self to be self-sustained. Um, and an inability to have a normal life. Those are kind of representations that I would like to fight with my filmmaking um, by showing that you can both be mentally ill or mentally unwell and still have a life and also recover in many cases or have um, happiness in your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely contributing to the destigmatization is a very important um, body of work and I'm very glad as someone who's in the film industry to have someone who is actively working on that sort of thing because those are the kind of roles I would love to play um, but you mentioned that you had like a, a tumultuous uh, journey with mental health yourself do you, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Sure I yeah I um, have a, a handful of diagnoses and I don't know which <laughs> which ones are current anymore but I've had um, depression and anxiety much of my life um, I was also diagnosed with borderline personality disorder um, but basically I think in at some point in my in my early teens um, started to uh, have symptoms of, of pretty serious depression and, uh, and have spent much of my life kind of developing and, and working on strategies to, to cope with that on a day-to-day -day basis. And it is, it is a, an ongoing journey. Like it's never, I don't see it ever being resolved. I don't think it's a, a case of the blues. I think it's a, it's a permanent condition, but I, I and I kind of you, I channel that, I channel that um, into my work and into the stories that I tell. And I, uh, and my, my openness about it, I think has really helped me build a sense of community in, in, within the film industry, because many people know me as someone who is open about having mental illness um, struggles. And as a result, uh, they seek me out and they find ways to connect with me because many, 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 many people um, identify with uh, having mental illness or having mental health issues. How important is it to have um, diagnosis as someone who has like those those mental health issues? How important was it to you to get diagnosis? There's actually various schools of thoughts on on this that I in different countries um, that I've lived in. So, I, I, which is kind of interesting. I in France, it's very unlikely that you'll ever be told you have a diagnosis because they sort of don't like to put you in that box. Um, and here there's a, it's a little bit more likely that you will get a name for what, a, what it is that you're experiencing, but in mental health, obviously it's not, they can't just like poke and prod you and, and figure it out. It's, it's a little bit more complex. It takes quite a bit more of um, kind of analysis and, and guesswork kind of, it's a bit of a try it, try it on and see if it fits um, system. And I think, I don't know, I spent a lot of, a lot of my life avoiding diagnosis because I didn't want it to be true. But mm -hmm. when you do get a diagnosis, it does allow you like by labeling the, the, the thing, you can sort of find people who identify with that as well. 
you can create community and you can also find resources to help yourself. So I think that there is a benefit to diagnosis um, or there was for me because I was able to then, if I put a name to it, I can identify what are these symptoms that I'm feeling, which of these things is the borderline and which of these things is me and how do I, um, how do I deal with that? Right. Cause I want to, I want to distinguish myself. Like I'm, I'm both, it's both a part of me and also something that I'm a victim of. So I try to sort of like create a, a, a persona for it that, that I can differentiate, differentiate myself from. Mm. It's definitely very interesting because, um, as you said, like you, you, you tried to avoid diagnosis and I can definitely sort of relate to that because you kind of almost think that that's going to put you on the outskirts and, and isolate you, but it does the opposite. As you said, like you get that community, you get the resources and once you embrace it, you can actually start to, you know, recognize it and separate it from who you are. Yeah. And I think, I think the danger that um, that there is around that is that people can tend to romanticize the idea of mental illness. And that can be a little bit um, dangerous because you don't want to think of it as something that's anything other than what it is, which is an illness. It's mm. not, um, yeah, it's not something that you should glorify, but it's certainly some, something that you can accept and can live with. Um, yeah, it's certainly not something that you you would wish to have. It's something that you 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 need to manage yeah and it's so much more pervasive than people realize I think there's so many people out there who struggle with it um and yeah yeah and I think putting a name giving it a name and giving yourself an opportunity to to identify it does help it helped me in in many ways yeah, yeah. And I think like within managing it as well, you can start to find your strengths within that as well, because there's definitely, you know, the the extra creativity and, and um, the different ways that your brain processes things. Um, you can, you have that different perspective and able to see different things, which can help you. But um, yes, definitely an important thing to sort of note that you don't want to like glorify having the illness. Yeah. And I think that's the danger in representations on screen as well is it can either be glorified or incredibly misconstrued or misrepresented. And, Mm. uh, and so my, I guess my, my motivation to make film is very much in line with trying to create representations that, um, that help people and that give a positive sort of, not a positive spin on being mentally ill, but, but kind of showing that being mentally ill is not, uh, a death sentence it's not a mm. um an end of anything it's simply a condition that you can yeah. live with yeah and you can you can learn to cope and adapt and there's no shame in it exactly yeah. is there anything um like any particular shows or films that come to mind that do represent mental illness well in your opinion um there are. I think that there are there are lots of films out there that represent mental illness in 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 kind of a way that makes that makes sense. And many of those don't really name it. If um, they sort of show people struggling, but they don't mm-hmm. necessarily name it as mental illness. Um, I don't have obviously my my brain just goes completely blank when you yeah. ask me to, <laughs> to list something. Trigger the anxiety. I'm sorry. No, yeah, no, it's it's so normal. It's I'm um I'm the the least good at referencing things because I have a terrible memory in general. 
but I feel um, the exact same way don't worry I'm right there with you. <laughs> um but yeah and I think any show that that will that will put a character in a situation where they're both struggling with mental illness but also overcoming it in some ways and finding ways to still do their job and finding ways to still have a life and still have career goals and have you know other things in their life that bring them fulfillment I think that that's that's the key um to making sure that the characters are well represented and also just showing that you don't have to succumb to your mental illness like in in many films mental illness means violence it means suicide it means you know triggering kind of events and it's just not necessary like we just want to see characters who struggle and overcome things because that's what we want to do we want to overcome our struggles you know, um, you mentioned that you had uh, bipolar disorder and um, it made me think of there's an episode that Anne Hathaway uh, does in Modern Love and that's probably one of the first like proper representations that I've seen of bipolar disorder where where it's explored and not like um, like like seen as like a negative kind of thing, I guess. Have you have you seen that? I haven't seen it. No, um, I did hear about it. And um, Anne Hathaway was also in a in a film. Um where she played a bipolar character, uh, Rachel mm-hmm. getting married, I believe it's called. I, um, yeah, I'm technically, I'm, I'm diagnosed borderline, not bipolar, but it is a very, very oh, similar. It's very, <laughs> no, it's incredibly similar. It actually, um, I think the, the, the differentiating factor is that borderline is often considered to be, uh, you go through phases that sort of sim- are similar to being bipolar, whereas bipolar is a kind of a more permanent condition. Um, mm. But aside from that, it's very much similar, very similar characteristics. I definitely think that representation is is getting better. And I think it's good that we're talking more about um, mental illnesses and things like that and, and encouraging people to sort of like look into themselves and really find out how they're feeling and, and you know, define what's normal for them kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think we're seeing shows break the molds in so many ways um a show that comes to mind that's recent that's kind of geared at uh teen audiences is sex education where they sort of like they're oh, breaking I them love all. that show it's such an amazing <laughs> show and what it does is it does for for sexuality what I want to do for mental health it's like it's taking the issues around it and presenting them this is how consent should work this is how um sexuality should be expressed or can be expressed this is what's this is what it should look like to be a teenager. Um, and they just show these po- great positive representations of, of sexuality. And I think if, if you can do the same thing for mental health um, and you can show this is how treatment can go, this is how coping can go, this is how um, you know, do, living without stigma can, can look like, then mm. we, can, we can start to emulate what we see, which is what people do when, when they see representations on screen. Yeah, life imitating art. Always. I think it's very, that's a very cool, like, visual, the way you put that, like, you want to do for mental health what uh, sex education has done for, like, sexual health and things. I think that's very, very cool. And another thing that I really like um, about your work is that you you practice what you preach. Like, you believe in representation. You believe in um, lifting up women and genderqueer um, people and making sure that they're represented not just like in the on-screen characters but also in your crew um and you founded you know a a group on Facebook which is like women women in film 
It's uh, Women Filmmakers of BC. Yes, Women and Filmmakers of BC. And how important is that to you um, that you work on film sets that um, have like equal or, you know, skewed um, representation into the female realm? Um, I think that what I'd love to see is that every film set is not uh, dominated by white men. And that's that's something that many, many organizations are working on. Um, myself, I founded a group that is basically a, a safe space for dialogue around um, trying to find crew and trying to um, just bolster ourselves and each other and help give each other a platform to to find each other basically and so it's a basically a group that excludes cis men um and allows for all other genders to to find each other and and crew up and and support each other in bc and uh yeah i think it is incredibly important to be creating representation that that reflects who we are um as an example i just i just finished work on um, a queer Indigenous web series, and everyone who was on this crew was um, specifically selected for either being queer, for being Indigenous, for being a person of color, for having those voices genuinely on the crew. Um, and what that what that did is it created a, an atmosphere that was so so special and so so genuine. Hmm. I think that's really, that is special and that's a very important thing to do that you, if you're in that position of power that you immediately start to create the world that you want to live in and the world that you want to see. Um, but we are going to take a short break and then when we come back we'll talk more about how uh, people can, you know, follow your work and your journey and some key takeaways of today. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Are you tired of people asking you what you want to be when you grow up? Well, we can help. What if we gave you the money to start your own business? All you have to do is join the Teen Wealth Club. Even if you have no idea what you want to do, we can help you have the life of your dreams and play by your own rules. We are real, real people who believe that your life can be whatever you want it to be. And we know it works because we have hundreds of other teens just like you who are doing it right now. Check out GlobalTeenWealth.org and start the life of your dreams today. Don't forget to mention Teen Wealth Radio and we'll send you a free gift when you join. Or you can call us at 1-855-866-TEEN. That's 1-855-866-8336. GlobalTeenWealth.org. We're here to get you started on your future. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. tuned in to Teen Wealth Radio. To join in the conversation, send an email to Brandy at GlobalTeenWealth.com. That's Brandy with an I at GlobalTeenWealth.com. Now, back to this week's show. All right, welcome back. You are with Rebecca Shalon and Anaisa Vissa. Um, and we're talking all things, you know, mental health, uh, how it affects the film industry and how we should always do our best to sort of like create the world that we want to live in. Um, and, and Anaisa has done so by creating like a group, um, that she can connect with whenever she's got, you know, uh, projects and everything that she wants to get going, you get connected to the right people. Um, what would you say to anybody else who is feeling like they, they want to see something that's happening, but they, they're not seeing it quite in the industry. How would they get about like starting it like you have? I actually kind of made this group on a whim and I fully expected there to be like eight messages in my inbox of people being like, Oh, there's already this group and this group and this group. So why, why are you doing this? Um, but no, on the contrary, I created a group where I saw there was a need and overnight there were 800 people in the group and now we are about 2000. Um, it's, it's all about coming from a genuine place. I think like I didn't make a group because I wanted to make money. I made a group because I felt like there was a need for community. There was a need for connection and people respond really well to that sort of initiative. Um, whereas if I were trying to find a way to monetize this, it probably would be a very different, um, a different, uh, sort of thing. So I think if you're trying to create community and you're trying to create change because you care, uh, I think that genuine voice goes a long way. Uh, and I think finding something that you're passionate about and a, and a community that can support you is, is key. And the best way to do that is by being kind and open to other people because they'll see that you're coming from a genuine place. What are, what are the next steps for you um, in terms of your career and, and where you want to head like in, in this journey of doing uh, what sex education did for sexual health, for mental health? Yeah, I'm going to put that on my, my resume. I think you should. I'm obsessed <laughs> with it. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think the next steps for me right now, I'm, I mean, film is, is in a weird kind of place right now because we're sort of redefining what, what filmmaking is like with, with the challenge of COVID-19. Um, but we are, but looking ahead, I'd, I'd love to, to, you know, I'd love to keep directing. I'd love to have more opportunities to direct. Uh, I think I have a good kind of unique perspective and I hope that people can see that and trust me to tell this kind of stories that, that require that sort of vision. Um, and I'm, I'm doing a bit of writing. I'm dabbling in, in trying to write a feature, uh, which for the non-film people is like a, a long movie, like a 90 minute movie. Um, <laughs> most of what I've done is all short films. So it'll be, it'll be kind of a, a leap to something bigger. Um, and while doing that, just trying to support myself, you know, pay, pay the bills and feed the cats. Yeah. Survival. Survival is important. 
Yeah, it's a huge part. It's a huge part of the artist's life is just how am I going to pay rent tomorrow? So <laughs> where, where are you in five years? Uh, in five years, I'd love to be kind of booked up several months in advance with my directing gigs. <laughs> That is that is definitely a, a dream job. I, I believe you can do it. I think that's a great goal to have. I have um, to believe that I can do it because I'm so far down this rabbit hole that I, there's literally nowhere else I can go. <laughs> I have to keep course. going. I have to keep going down it because I don't um I don't have a way out anymore. I love it too much and it's too uh it's I've put so much into this um into this existence. So Yeah, and it's definitely proven that you can do it because you have done it and you've been recognized for your work as well. So I think it's a good pathway. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I yeah. hope so. Um, and where do you see yourself in five years in terms of your mental health? What are your goals um, and plans for that? Uh, at this point, um, what I'm hoping is that I can continue to build st- uh, strategies to cope and to and to sort of get through my day to day life. There's a lot of uh, there's there are a lot of ups and downs, just as with anyone. And I think that the the key is to keep trying to focus on the next up and the next g- good thing, the next positive thing. Um, I think in in five years I'll probably still be very much in the same kind of boat where I'm I'm you know I'm riding the waves as they come and trying my best to to keep my eyes on the on the shore. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and what what helps you on? on days where you are finding it a challenge? What is something that is like your go-to um, thing to help you get back on track? Uh, cuddling my cats and doing yoga. Any particular kind of yoga? Or? Um, I enjoy yin yoga, which is very calming and, and is very much about, it's not about strength, it's about kind of re- relaxation. Mm-hmm. And yeah. are you working on any films right now? Uh, I'm currently doing a little bit of writing is, is all I'm doing at this point. Mm-hmm. Are you, uh, do you want to share what you're writing on just for feature film? Do I want to share? Um, sure. So on my feature at, as it exists right now, which is very early days, um, is about two people with mental illness who are struggling with, with grief and they sort of find each other and, uh, and, kind of a love story but also kind of just a friendship where they're sort of learning about how to how to cope Hmm. I like that and if people want to follow along on the journey and and follow your projects where can they find you uh I'm on the Instagram and the Facebook um those are the only social medias I know how to use because I'm too old for the rest of them I am on those as Anaisa Visser, just my first name, my last name, A-N-A-I-S-A-V-I-S-S-E-R. Um, yeah. And do you think that you're, you're like nice and settled in Vancouver and you're, you're still going to be here? Uh, at this stage, I don't plan to be anywhere else, although COVID has made me feel very far away from my family. So there, mm. you never know. Oh, <laughs> do your family, do you, that's right, because you moved by yourself. Are they in France? My mom is in France. My dad is in Mozambique. So everyone is on a different continent. Yeah. How have you sort of handled the the challenges of, of COVID? Like how has that affected your um, mental health journey? Would you, would you say that it's um, impacted it in any way? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, I'm a, I'm a workaholic and it's been very difficult to, 
to try and transition to working from home and to finding work uh, in this current climate. Um, it's also, I had to finish my master's in, like, right in March, in March, April, when we were just starting to sort of realize what was happening. So uh, it was very challenging and, and mental health, um, mental health wise, it's already very difficult without, <laughs> without a pandemic and without being told that you can't see all your friends and, um, and can't go visit your family and do all the things that you normally do that make you feel better. So uh, it has been a very, very difficult year, but it has also been very creatively inspiring because I have all this space in my in my life where I'm not doing a ton of other things I'm not going out I'm not socializing so I'm kind of using all that time to to work on my projects um, and try to further my career and that I think and, has been the positive outcome of it I guess yeah there's definitely I find with with quarantine and things like that they're, they're definitely extremes they're like extreme highs and extreme lows yeah that's well, my life was like that before, but yes, <laughs> quarantine, has, <laughs> quarantine has amplified it. Yes, yeah. And I suppose some extra time with your cats as well, they must be enjoying that. Definitely, yeah. It's great to have uh, companion animals if, you, uh, if you're someone who struggles with mental illness. They're, they're, they bring so much joy and comfort. If you could um, sort of say like this tell tell someone what the single most important thing has been in terms of your um uh, managing and coping and things what would it be uh the biggest thing that I learned or that I sort of uh worked on was um having a sort of a mantra and uh the mantra that I follow is one day at a time and that I think is the the single most important piece of advice that I've ever been given is just take things one day at a time, get through today, and then don't worry about tomorrow until tomorrow. Because people who, like myself, who struggle with anxiety or depression, like we tend to really think about things on a long-term scale. And we don't have control over tomorrow. So if we just focus on getting through today, then um, then I think that that's already enough. That's good enough. Yeah, celebrating small wins and, and just trying to focus on the task at hand. Exactly. They can definitely be very, very difficult when your when your mind is is full full of um, anxious thoughts. <laughs> uh, definitely, yeah, it's it's a real challenge, but it's um, I think the yeah, it's the single most most useful bit of advice that I've gotten, and it it got it has gotten me through some really tough periods. So, I definitely recommend just uh, you know, repeat that to yourself when you need to, just mm -hmm. one day at a time one day at a time and this is sort of related but uh, a question that Brandy always ends every show on um, is if you had you know one minute for everybody in the world to just stop and listen to something that you had to say what is what would you say like what would you want one thing to be heard oh my god I can't make sentences today but you, you know <laughs> <laughs> um that's huge that's a huge question it, to, it to only have a minute to answer um I think I would want people to know that, I don't know, you can do it. You got this. Yeah. That's it. That's the, I like it. You didn't even need the full minute. Just you got this. No, you can, do you it. can do it. Whatever it is, you can do it. Sometimes short and simple is the good way to get through it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need a minute. I just need, if I have all these years, 
listening. I just need them to know that they can do it. Was there was there a time in your life um, where you felt that you started believing that? Like, was there ever a time where you didn't believe that? The, that I didn't got this? I don't ever got this. But um, <laughs> I don't ever feel like I fully got this. But I want other people to feel that they do. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Like, it, it's been wonderful hearing about um, just your life experience as well. Like, growing up all over the world and what you've been able to do and accomplish. And, you know, also, you know, managing to cope with all of your uh, mental health diagnoses as well. Um, is there anything else that you want to say to our audience? You got this. <laughs> <laughs> I love I'll just, that. We're broken gonna... record. No, but I think I I think that um, you know, especially for the teen listeners, like adolescence is an incredibly challenging time, and I know you're probably sick of hearing people say that it gets better, but it does get better. It gets you. you we build. We build on the things that hurt us. And I, I feel like I've built my career on the things that hurt me on, on being mentally ill and having this struggle has become the basis of what I do for a living and what I do to help change the world. So I think if, if I can do that, then, um, every single one of you can. I really like that. I think that's a beautiful, um, sentiment to end on because, you know, it's about taking what you what you have and really building from that, and and not uh, letting it get in the way. Yeah, turn yeah. turn turn it into something that you can use, and um, and you can do anything. I think that's great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, if you guys want to follow Anaisa, then you can find her on Instagram and all that jazz. And you can find us here at the same place, same time next week, five p.m. Pacific on Teen Wealth Radio, Voice America. Thanks for joining us, Anissa. Thank you. Thanks for being part of Teen Wealth Radio. Please join your host, Brandy England, her guests, and panel of experts again next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an awesome week, and we'll see you here for the next show. Oh,